Welcome back to Hearness, where we acknowledge the deep connection to land and waters by First Nations people all around the world. And we discuss contemporary art practices that engender greater interconnection between body, place and space. I'm your host, Sarah Bryn Lovett, and this month we will be speaking to photo media artist Yvette Hamilton. I first met Yvette in the late 1990s when we were teenage flatmates in Sydney, finding our way into the world. We will discuss Yvette's practice from this point up until the present moment, which finds her living on Darug and Gundungurra land of the Blue Mountains. Yvette's practice is mainly centred on photo media, expanded portraiture, installation and interactive art. Like all Hearness episodes, I shall share detailed links on her work on the hearness.org website. The sound for this month's episode comes from some of Yvette's short video pieces of lighthouses. For me, the lighthouse in Yvette's work is symbolic of her overall practice. It's a sensitive exploration of our relationship to intriguing and layered interior places, expanding outwards into the farthest reaches of outer space. Thank you very much for coming to talk to us on Hearness. Um, I'm obviously very familiar with your work. I've been following it over the last 25 or so years uh, where we met when we were much younger and I was studying interior design and you were an artist, um, photo media artist, taking a lot of photographs of interiors and remnants of interiors. And for me, your work has always been incredibly delicate and a profound exploration of relationships between self place and space so I'm so delighted to have you on the show thank you I'm really happy to be on the show it's an honor I've been listening to all of them and I think we've spoken about this before but the experience of actually listening to this series has been really productive for me actually it's made me rethink how I work and my place, particularly having moved up here to the Blue Mountains um, recently. So it's been, I actually think you've created something. I mean, obviously you've created something great, but I think you've not just from a passive point of view, you've actually kind of created something that's quite generative. And I don't know, for me, it's been a really quite um, profound and shifting thing to listen to lots of different people speak about kind of this same theme but from all these different resonant points it's been it's it's very good compliments to you oh, thank you I'd like to start to talk about some of your very early works when I when I met you um, that you were making um, probably during your bachelor of fine art were, were you doing a bachelor of fine art yes I was doing a bachelor of fine art at what was COFA back in the day and now is UNSW Art and Design. I'd like to ask you about the, those early works that you were making where you were photographing interior objects and relics of the home uh, such as wallpaper and, and I'd like to know why were you drawn to taking photographs of objects like that? Um, I think interior space 
um, interior domestic space specifically, but actually even any kind of interior space I found, I've always found some sort of affinity to kind of a tuning into. I know a lot of people feel that about being out in the bush or in nature. And, and, you know, I have a sense of that as well, but interiors have always been an area just a resonance for me. And it's hard for me to put my finger on that in terms of the wallpaper that I can certainly identify more clearly my aunt, um, who was kind of an influential person in my life at that period of time. She used to be like a costume designer and she was an artist and she would always kind of pick up these things. And she'd had these rolls of really old kind of 1960s wallpaper embossed, um, you know, very thick wallpaper. And she'd given them to me. I just was kind of, I was really intrigued by the patterning of them and the color of them and the softness of them. And so I had them for a long time before I started working with them and I was photographing them and I was painting on them and I was kind of cutting them out and collaging them. And um, I remember just kind of, I don't know, just being interested in this idea of, of kind of it being like a, a, a lining, uh, a background, um, maybe something that absorbs or transmits this kind of, I suppose, this feeling, energetic feeling that I um, was attracted to. And also there was an aesthetic point of it as well and I think I was just pursuing that and I was actually looking at one of my visual diaries from first year and I was quite clear about kind of the idea of the interior space as an anthropomorphized zone you know it's a stand-in for the self and that's certainly something that um uh, Gaston Bachelard speaks about in the Poetics of Space which was um, a book that one of my tutors had kind of steered me towards in first year and that idea of the house as the as the as the human body you know the, all the different zone mapping those zones within you know a pretty eurocentric idea of what a house is with a cellar and a attic and all of that kind of stuff but it just really struck a resonant chord with me and um that's i i suppose it's that idea of the anthropomorphication um, through space, through interior space at that time was a real driver for what drove that creative work. And all of that work was quite subtle. It was always stuff that was, you know, quite in a way, relatively abstract, very 90s photography, you know, lots of things out of focus, as everyone did in the 90s. Um, and um, it was kind of this... Um, Ah, you know, like a, a, a feeling, you know, it was very phenomenological. Um, yeah, try to identify that. And I think, you know, I teach, I teach now at um, UTS in, in photography and, you know, so much of that first year as a, as a young student is kind of really identifying yourself or bits of your through your work. And I think that's ultimately where all of that came from. It's fascinating. I think, you know, the idea of you looking back to that and finding how clear you were um, about that even then because that obviously followed through into your master's dissertation really quite clearly as well zooming out to include the whole of the interior for example the loved ones sleeping of the portraits that you did of Queen Street Studios in the city and um, I think there's another work called You're Here where you're actually starting to place a mirror in relationship to different parts of the interior um, I'm, I'm just wondering about that process of seeing the, the interior space as 
you know, in this anthropomorphized way, did, did that shift your experience of place? Um, I think actually, and what's interesting about the masters was when I say uh, I, I was identifying space anthropomorphically, I think I'm saying that retrospectively, specifically about what I was doing in first year. Uh, I think I was not really fully cognizant of what that what was happening. And so interestingly, when I did start my master's, um, Anne Ferrin, who was my supervisor for my first year, um, you know, I'd come, come from a re- pretty lengthy break between study and we we're talking about the work that I was doing. And essentially, I was referring back to stuff I'd done for years. Um, and she said to me, I'm not interested in, in, um, in working with you if you're just going to do the same thing. Um, and so you know, the way that I would identified my practice to her was that, you know, essentially I take photographs of spaces. There's never people in my, in my photographs. And so then there was this idea of, okay, well, what happens if you do the opposite to that? So it was my whole master's thesis was looking at portraiture. Um, and so interestingly, I think that's where a lot of this, you know, I actually end up, you, you end up circling back to, um, that's where I really started to identify and, and clarify ideas around the idea of, place versus space, you know, place being a zone that is um, marked out by human experience, whereas space is, you know, could just be a geometric expansion of a void or anything. Um, so place is is a site that is very linked within human humanity. And so interestingly, I didn't really kind of see the connection at that point in time, even when I was speaking my master's. Um, Using the mirror, I was really interested and I was looking at, in my master's, looking at the idea of heterotopias and the idea of a mirror and also um, the internet as well, the idea of um, different places that aren't so, um, I suppose, in real life, these places that kind of, you know, they're heterotopic spaces, they're outside of... They're at the margins or they're, they're other spaces. So the mirror is a heterotopic space. You could argue the internet um, is a heterotopic space. So I was kind of looking when I was working with the mirrors, it was almost like quite a theoretical exploration of placing the mirror, which is kind of yourself, but not yourself. It's your double, which is something that obviously, you know, ties in a lot to photographic theory. So uh, when I was actually shooting the stuff with the mirrors, um, yes, it did change my sense of the space. The mirrors were specifically round. They were meant to be very much a stand-in for the person, for the sense of a person. So um, the rounded object or the the circle comes up a lot in my work. Um, I'm still trying to unpack what that's about, but uh, that in that instance, the circular mirror, it was a shaving mirror, it was very much aligned to the size of a human face, was placed in order to be like a, the stand-in person, the absent person. Yeah. Because mm, that seems to be a marking point um, in the dissertation anyway in towards a series of mirror works where you really begin to then create installations where there's mirrors reflecting the interior and reflecting the person um, the viewer of the artwork as well as part of the whole construct of that there's there's two works I'm specifically thinking about and I'll put links up on the on the website 
they're called Where Are You 2015 um, and Echo 2015. So in the in where where are you? The image is dissolving. The image of the person looking into this black box, a beautifully constructed perspex black angular box with a mirror reflection. Um, and you can see the person in relation to what's above them on this wonderful exposed ceiling. Um, and then in the echo box, it's like a timber box with a mirror front that then um, turns into a beautiful glowing white circle. So there's this idea of the person looking at themselves dissolving into the space or the object in front of them. Um, could you talk a little bit about what was the experience of being in place um, for the audience or the viewer of the work that that you were aiming for yeah both of them and indeed another work um, that was the interactive mirror work um, uh, you're here they all were it wasn't like I was reacting to us like previously I'm reacting to specific spaces I'm going somewhere I'm shooting this um, some of the stuff that I shot with the circle mirrors was at uh, House Marugal down in Nara. Um, you know, I'm responding to a certain place. Those three mirror works um, that we're just speaking of, they are all about, it doesn't matter what the place is, I'm actually wanting to comment or draw the viewer's attention to the place in which they're in. So, you know, these works could, it could end up being installed anywhere and they, you know, they, they did, you know, kind of, to different sites and it was more about provoking and it was very um very interactive you know like a couple of them were actual in inverted commas interactive artworks um in that they were motion triggered and 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 had facial detection software and stuff in them and all sorts of crazy stuff um but interactive in the sense of it was very much about trying to create a set of conditions for a viewer to understand their position in place in the world at that time. And specifically with your here, which was the interactive mirror, not letting someone look at themselves in a mirror. And that's probably um, where are you kind of does that as well. Denying your view of yourself, the traditional portrait is the face and the body. And I'm going to deny that to you. And instead what you're going to see through this mirror or this screen is the place that you're standing in. And the argument being that, you know, potentially your place in the world, the, the, um, the, your surroundings at this point in time are more of a portrait of you as a person than your face and your body. So a lot of it's kind of about looking at the failings of portraiture and portraiture is such a kind of, um, you know, particularly when you chart it in terms of photographic history, it's just such a ridiculous thing. You know, the idea of many portraits is to give the sense of an inner self somehow by either painting or photographing um, or whatever it is that you're doing by making an image of someone, you're somehow attempting to give a sense of their like in inverted commas soul or their inner, inner self. Um, and just the idea that your face or your body kind of could uh, depict that is kind of quite, you know, when you really break it down, kind of ridiculous. And so um, for me, having that original resonance with feeling, you know, when you feel at home somewhere or you feel a resonance with the space, that to me felt more um, more of a portrait of a person is, is an, 
by substituting the image of the face and body with the place that you're in, I, I was kind of arguing that that's an expanded portraiture. That's that's where that you know is more of a more indicative of that inadverted commas inner self than your face or your body. Um, so that idea of dissolving the person is kind of like you know don't look to here, don't look at you know to your face or your body for your uh, your, I suppose, yourself, look to that which, you know, look to the site in which you're placed. Mm. It's fascinating because I think when I was reading through the dissertation and there's a point in it where it says something like, you know, this idea of the portrait, indeed the mirror, being a representation of who you are, there's that gap between yourself and the representation of it that makes, you know, you're actually not there in the glass you're actually there in the room you're standing in looking in the glass and I think just the way that you wrote about that in the dissertation made it really clear to me that the idea of being in the space that you're in and extending your awareness deeply into that space is more indicative of of what it, what's going on in your mind rather than looking at a, a reflection of your image in a piece of glass and thinking that a reflection of yourself. Well, it is. I mean, we talk about, um, Roland Barthes talks a lot about um, posing and the way that you make another body for yourself when he's talking specifically about when you're being photographed. And I think anyone could take a moment to kind of reflect you know, you, you suddenly become a totally awkward body. Um, I know some people are much better at it than others and maybe aren't so awkward, but they're still posing. There's this still idea of you're making yourself into an image. And um, I think that is something that actually separates you. I will qualify this by saying I don't really believe in an inverted commas true self. I think it's, a, you know, a multiples, you know, you're like a, everyone's a Russian doll of multiple, multiple factors. There's no like singular true self, but I feel anytime you're kind of posing, which you are in any kind of portrait, I feel as, you know, very much a removal from, you know, any connection or any kind of real grounding in your self, you know, it, you're very much making yourself into an image. There's the double, there's the gap, there's all of those things. So um, interestingly, that gap that you just kind of identified that, you know, it's almost like a disappearing zone that occurs, you know, between the mirror, the person, the photograph of the person or the painting the person and the person, there's a, there's a disconnect, really big disconnect. And there's this kind of invisibility there. Um, and I think, now, when I look about those works, you know, at the time it was all about place and portraiture and, and kind of pitting the two against each other and kind of seeing how they're really intertwined. Um, but now when I look at them, I'm kind of more focused on that gap. I'm more focused on the idea of the um, invisible, the invisible that was inherent in all of that work, you know, in um, your here and where are you? Um, and echo, all of them has a point of invisibility where something visible becomes invisible or something visible becomes invisible, you know, and it's that liminal zone between those two things. And interestingly, that kind of brings me back to that original um, time in the darkroom, you know, of seeing that image here. Um, you can also see an image disappear if something's completely overexposed. Um, you know, that, that activated 
bit between the seeing and the not seeing is actually kind of where I now I look at those works through that. I mean, I certainly still, they're very much still housed within place and portraiture, but I'm also kind of interested in the in the bit that 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 gap bit. Mm-hmm. I think that comes through um quite strongly in the next works I wanted to discuss um that were also light box, a light box work, specifically Phantom Island, um, which is a beautiful light box with the circular image of an of an island appearing disappearing do you could you explain that work a little bit for our listeners what that signifies to you in ideas of what the self is as a graspable concept so this idea of the phantom island suddenly was a really resonant and powerful metaphor for me um and this work i made um i think my second son miles was pretty young when i made this work and it was a really personally a very difficult time I had really bad postnatal anxiety and depression and um I was just kind of barely able to do anything um massive sleep deprivation and all sorts of crazy stuff going on and so this work um I was just kind of really feeling my way through being able to create anything and I was looking back at this um archive of photographs that I took um, of Mauritius when I was there when I was in my early 20s. So I went there. So I'm half Mauritian, um, but I'm adopted. So I don't really know very, I don't know virtually anything about my family there. Um, I don't really know my genetic mix or anything. I know Mauritius is a super um, multicultural, you know, one of the most multicultural countries in the world. So there's like, you know, workers from China, Africa, slaves, let's be honest, um, slaves, um, indentured workers, China, Africa, India, um, colonised by the French, um, sugarcane and stuff like that is the kind of main reason for for the colonisation and for the money making. Um, And so when I went to this place, because I'd known I was half Mauritian um, in my early 20s, I went there expecting to feel this resonant sense of kind of home you know this feeling I had in other places before and I didn't I felt this complete disconnection I had a really bad time when I was there and it was quite a traumatic experience um so revisiting I suppose that kind of that traumatic experience then kind of looped into the traumatic experience I was having while trying to make some work for an upcoming exhibition so I made this series called Phantom Island and I used the archive of photographs from my trip, you know, 15 years prior. In the background of the images of the snapshot photography were like little kind of things in the ocean that, you know, potentially could have been a phantom island, could have been mapped as a phantom island. They look like little islands. And so I I, I zoomed right in onto those little places and um, the, the light boxes were animated. So these um, zoomed in places from... Um, these original snapshots were kind of blown up um, and put onto um, backlit transparency film. So they printed onto that. And then behind that, you know, I had um, LED lights that I programmed. So the light would come on and off. And there was actually mirror film, two-way mirror film in front of the Durotrans image. So the light box would oscillate from being a mirror um, to slowly giving you this image of, this object in the sea 
and then this kind of unidentifiable object in the sea that kind of looked like an island, a landmass, and then it would uh, the light would come off and it would turn back into a mirror. So it was pretty, you know, it was quite, um, you know, essentially quite didactic in what I'm saying. You know, it's like you trying to see yourself in these places and then it, it disappears and it slips away from you. And it was just kind of a um, another, I suppose, thematically very tied into a lot of earlier work as well, but I didn't see it at the time. But yeah, that work oh, was, felt so weird and personal and, you know, also kind of, you know, identifying with this cultural background that kind of was mine but is not mine through the process of adoption. There's this kind of, there's, there's a disconnect that you have with, you know, who you are supposedly on paper with who you are, you know, through the adoptive family that you get brought up in. And so I think that kind of started me off on this, I suppose, this um, path that I'm on now of looking at these more kind of mysterious unseeable gaps because then there's a part of that the exhibition that was at Hazelhurst gallery where that was shown so it was a series of fluorescent tubes um, based upon maritime navigational markers and it was set in this amazing black space and the floor was so reflective and the the um the the fluorescent tubes reflected into the floor and kind of shimmered in the in there. Um, it was amazing installation. That really, yeah. I I I really wanted it to feel like you were on the ocean. You know, you're on, in in the dark. I really wanted you know the idea of I don't know if you've ever been on a boat in the in the dark, and you know the idea of not knowing where you are. Um, the the um, the water, so the, the floor was super shiny vinyl, so it really reflected like it would in water. So I wanted the floor to feel like it was water and to give that kind of immersive feeling. So everything was painted black around it. The lights, um, there were LED lights um, built in a really kind of um, an, a annoyingly difficult way because they all, they can't be fluorescent tubes because you can't program them, so they have to be LED really elaborate build and so it was um the shapes were like squares and then there were triangles within the squares and so these are kind of I was really looking at um I think you know linking from Phantom Island looking at kind of that idea of navigation and and um so these were these are kind of um icons and symbols that are used in navigation a lot so the the triangles would either be the right way up or the wrong way up and um, when you're navigating particularly at night you use a lot of light-based beacons and obviously lighthouses as well um, to help you to work out you know where is treacherous water where is um, something you need to avoid these lights will tell you what side you should pass on them so it, it very much helps you navigate through us through a space and so I was kind of interested in that idea of you know that and and probably very reflective of how I was personally feeling at the time of this completely being you know in this complete void space of not knowing you know where I was what was going to happen you know this idea of you know wanting a navigational thing to tell you which way to go but then also with the idea of 
when that breaks down, what would happen if those things started to kind of erratically break down and suddenly you're completely, you know, um, excuse the pun, at sea, you know, you're completely lost. And so I was interested in that. So the, the, the programming of the light, it began as, as recognisable navigational symbols um, that would actually communicate something. And then it broke down into kind of this chaotic and almost, you know, disco flashing situation um, towards the end of kind of a program cycle. Um, yeah, it was very immersive. It was very much intending to be kind of super sensory and super um, affective. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some wonderful lighthouse works as well, videos that have kind of that relate to that uh, work, which I'll share on the the website um but i just i want to hold that space for a second and talking about that kind of disorientation of between land and sea or, or land and sky and go back to an earlier work the path of totality 2013 where you photographed the total solar eclipse in far north queensland and you described it as an uncanny sense of totality you felt that you're in as much in the sky as in the land. I'm just wondering if you could describe that feeling for us when you were taking those photographs. The experience is very hard to put into words. It's complete. Ah, it's 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 almost impossible to put into words the feeling of it. The light turns. just a colour I've never seen before, like an absolute kind of almost absence of colour, like no colour. If no colour could be a colour, that's the colour that the the sky and the land turns and everything goes like this. It's like everyone, like taken all the contrast and the tonality out of an image, everything just went this very kind of eerily steel grey. And it's like all the shadows and everything disappeared. It was the most... um, very odd you know like I you know I, I don't know it's it probably like, felt like dying almost like it was just so incredibly effective and um you know the birds are going crazy in the and then there's this incredible silence and you know I found it to be such a incredibly intense experience to feel and to witness that the idea of trying to shoot it just was just so cheapening. Like it was just, and there was all these people with all these massive, you know, huge zoom lenses and, you know, good luck to them, fair play. I understand that totally get the, totally get the photographic impulse. Like I really do, but it just felt like, why are you doing that? Like it just, felt completely inadequate against the mighty, the most sublime experience and very much in the classical sense of the sublime. Um, the most sublime experience I think you could, I personally certainly have ever had. Uh, and so that then steered a lot of things. I think it was such a huge impact. Um, and I had a show um, lined up that had to be kind of about that. And so I ended up making this work and a lot of it, um, I really struggled. I really, really struggled to make this work because it was like, how do I make an image? Again, this idea of almost kind of like making an image, like a portrait. You're making an image of something, and it's 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 at best, it's at best a little husk of, of a 
person is or what this experience was. And so it felt really hard to make images, to make a, you know, a whole solo exhibition worth of work about this. Um, and so I did though, like I kind of pulled things together and what and that's where I started working with animated light boxes where um, images would appear and disappear. That, that animation was the key. Uh, it's the thing that felt the most resonant to, or to my experience of what I experienced because it was kind of like light, you know, light where you can barely even tell that the light is starting and, and dimming and, and coming and it's very oscillating and it's everything slippery. You don't get a sense of, of holding on to a solid image like you do in a normal standard photograph. And so that... Um, that after that exhibition, I remember taking, so I had these light boxes and I had the Durotrans and everything in there. And I remember like removing the Durotrans image from the light box. Um, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was trying to put it in something else or something was happening and the light box was on at the time and I removed the image from it. And so in the makeup, technical makeup of the light box, there was a um, kind of a pearl layer, a semi-opaque layer of, perspex acrylic so when the light um, shone behind that it was kind of diffused and so this light kind of pulsing on and off really softly just behind this acrylic versus behind an image suddenly became this oh like huge um, visual oh that's what the work should have been I didn't need an image there I just needed the light moving to and fro and that's when I started working with more light works animated light works things like that and that idea of appearance and disappearance I think um, I'm still trying to work through that experience of, of witnessing a solar eclipse so if you ever get a chance to see one it sounds amazing and it's funny because actually when I was on my walk this morning it was full misty sky but the sun was coming through like and it looked like the moon there was so much mist and I took out my phone and tried to do a panorama and I kind of didn't capture it and then I went to do it again and I went, why am I doing this? Why don't I just enjoy that? And I actually reflected on how taking out my phone to take a photograph of a moment actually lessens the moment um, incredibly. And so I don't actually often take that many while I'm out and, <laughs> out and about because of that reason. But I think it's such a powerful work and the way you talk about it and really wonderful and I guess I'm wondering now um, in terms of the link between that work and I guess the inspiration of those works leading into your thesis where you're focusing on the, the black hole and the, and the history of photography really as well. Um, I, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, I guess links from the, the previous work and ideas around self and place that may be coming through in, into the thesis work of the where you're looking at the black hole specifically. Yeah, I I, um, I think what you're talking about your experience of trying to you know photograph that amazing experience that you had in the fog, and how you know it kind of distances you from the actual experience that you're that you're having. Um, I think a lot of people, if they really kind of thought about. Um, some of the experiences that they've had, that immediate photographic, human photographic impulse um, is so kind of embedded, ingrained in us now, specifically, you know, now with, I, pro I would probably chart it to about 2010, 
when smartphones could actually, you know, um, transmit images to each other much more simple, simply uh, the processing power of a smartphone became so much easier to have greater memory on it so you could have more photographs and stuff. So th that point in photographic history suddenly led to this, you know, obscene kind of e photographic excess, you know, billions, trillions of images uploaded to social media every year. And that kind of thing and the way that that connects to what you're saying about the idea of you know or and and I was saying in terms of my masters of the failure of the image of the person to the person or the failure of the image of the experience or of the place um, to depict anything you know of that depth of experience and so then this idea um, you know that that kind of falling out of love with the idea of trying to make photographs or just really losing my motivation to want to create images all the time by photographing. And so then looking and also in the face of, you know, just trillions and trillions and trillions of photographic images through the world, in, which is kind of the, the state of the post-photographic landscape. Um, so there's, there's, there was that resonance there of the failure of an image to kind of communicate, um, but then also this massive excess of imagery that made me think about, you know, um, I was really just grappling with the idea of photographic excess and how do I approach the medium of photography when, you know, I feel like um, there's just so much of it, there's too much. And, and how do I find my way through this? I'm still really fascinated by this idea of, um, and I'm, I'm very much fascinated with all of the ontological questions that are surrounding photography. Um, and so all of that tied into this. And then when um, the photograph, in inverted commas, of the black hole at the center of the M87 galaxy was published by the Event Horizon uh, collaboration, um, seeing that image just stopped me in my tracks. And that was, um, you know, the first photograph in I don't know how long that actually had an effect, had a real, really, really huge effect on me. And it, it just suddenly seemed to be this incredible aperture itself. It's a, it's a marker point in the photographic, in the history of image making and photography that I think we, we we can look through and kind of go this this point in time this particular image, um, which is a photograph of the absence of light versus all other photography being photographs you know of, of you know photography light writing it's all about light. Um, this photograph in inverted commas is a, is a, the absence of light in a black hole, which is a, you know obviously the world's most kind of the universe's most mysterious object. And so that idea of mystery that had come through from previous works like Phantom Island, um, the idea of the image failing, um, the abstraction of the M87 black hole image in itself um, is very um, resonant and very kind of, um, it echoes a lot of the really, really, really early photographic and proto-photographic experimentation in the 1830s and 1820s um, before photography was um, invented, as it were. Um, and so it just became this thing that kind of tied a whole lot of things together for me. And also 
the paradox inherent within it, um, the paradox inherent within um, photography, you know, photography, when you take a photograph of something, you're taking a photograph of the visible and the invisible all at once. You know, there is that blind field beyond the frame that we never see. Um, and so that kind of idea of that visibility, invisibility is something that you can see a lot within the actual technicality of a black hole, but also within that black hole photograph. So it kind of, it draws together a whole lot of things from the past and um, kind of creates a frame for, for me to look in a different direction. In terms of looking at having looked at place and space through my whole kind of artistic career, a black hole is a, is a, is a site where space and time, so the element of time is kind of being starting to be woven into my work. And the idea that space and time almost just get warped beyond, beyond any comprehension, they, they, they become um, reversed, they become completely warped, you know, space is, is, is deformed and twisted and, um, and, and time and light disappears in a black hole. You know, it is it's a point of um, such gravitational intensity that space gets bent, light disappears, and and time ceases to you know follow its you know linear progression. And so that idea of taking all of those thematic ideas around space and place, and and, and what happens, what happens when we think about space and place in the context of a black hole, it, it suddenly takes it somewhere completely exciting and unknown and very mysterious. And I think that's an interesting progression from where I've been before.